Settle down on the wiggly sofa for your weekly escape to rural Herefordshire. Join us every Monday as we cover the environment, farming, biodiversity and the things we can all do to make a difference. Plus, you'll learn about life at Wiggly Wigglers, current small business champions for the UK. I'm Nikki, one of the phone team here at Wiggly Wigglers. I take your orders, especially the bouquets, which are done by my mum. And yes, it was my grandfather up the tree. Your co-hosts today are Heather and Rachel. Rach! Girl power, baby! Hooray! He's not here! He's not here! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> now, we've got a secret, haven't we? Sat here on the desk. She rustles paper. Nikki, what have we got? We've got the Wiggly Book. Ooh. What do you think of it? I think it's fantastic. It is. Cool, isn't it? Pictures are amazing. The writing, the font, everything is just amazing. But I just must mention your contribution. Oh, no. <laughs> here we are, here we are. I mean, we mustn't you know, give too much away about the book, but just to read out this little bit of Nikki writing, she talks about looking ahead with the garden and how it's gone. There's one thing, though, that I would really like to see in the garden to improve it. Chris Beardshaw. <laughs> now that would improve things no end. I will gladly give up any spare time to help that one come to pass. <laughs> <laughs> he could fly in with his helicopter any day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. That's OK. <laughs> Thank you, Toast, for that little uh, gulp. <laughs> Rach, it's nice to have you, but why are you here? Where well, is Rovin Ricardo? Rovin Ricardo is at home. Oh, wig. He's decided to take Easter week off and spend it at home with his wife. Very nice. Very nice. So, yeah. Hello, Richard. Hope you're having a nice time. Yeah. And we do hope you went to the talk in Wiltshire last night. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we think he's unreliable. No. Anyway, we brought in Farmer Phil, so welcome, Farmer Phil. Hello. How do you feel in amongst all these women? Well, with my mate Ricardo not here... It's not good, but then again, I expect Sarah will be fed up with him by now so that he'll be back next week. On the show this week, we've got loads of feedback. If you remember, we mentioned the fact that um, the only reviews we had on iTunes were from men. So, of course, this week we've got acres of letters from women. So that's great. So we'll talk about those in a moment. We've got Al coming in with Plant of the Week, which is Ladies' Smock. Monty's in with his worm cast. And we've got a roving Ricardo report. Right. So right. we'll be there with that. Yeah. And we've also got a Farmer Phil report. The Wiggly Chickens have arrived, Rach. I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? And so far, you've had how many eggs? Two eggs right. in two days. And the most interesting thing is what you've called them. Hmm. <laughs> They're named after Monty's two grannies. One, sadly, is not with us anymore. And so that's Lillian, the chicken. And the other one is Valerie the chicken. So welcome to Lillian and Valerie. <laughs> They're two brown hens. Anyway, get straight into this feedback. We've got a letter from Hayley Brennan and she writes, Dear team, I finally caught up and listened to all of your podcasts. I've heard your weekly advice rant giggle about all things natural in a newspaper article just after Christmas. I love the show, especially the rouse. And as a little thank you, having closed some milker. 
I hope you have the decency to share some of this with the others, Heather. <laughs> what a shame she put that, because there was just this little thought that I had that maybe The it thing was... is, Rach, did we ever find out exactly how much Milka she sent? No. I did have some, but I never established the total quantity. No. <laughs> well, there was th- three bars, and um, I've eaten two. <laughs> and Richard's got one on his desk. And she says the best chocolate shop in the whole world is Pierre Marcolini. And it's in Brussels. Wow. And so I'm off to Brussels later in the year, so I'm going to go there and check it out. And she's also talked about Ford Hall Farm with Charlotte and Ben raising money to save their farm from development. I don't know if anyone saw the Telegraph article on Saturday by Sally Williams, but it was a brilliant article. And I've just been to the Ford Hall Farm website, and they've now raised over £100,000 towards their £800,000 total. So things go well, but if you're interested in buying a share in Ford Hall Community Farm, go to fordhallfarm.com. Rach, you've got some feedback. I have, all from ladies that we've asked to give some feedback from. One is from Vicky, Vicky Cowles, and she's one of our competition winners on the podcast. And she sent us in comments, as in she works from home. And so in the Monday afternoons, she always sits and has a cup of tea and listens to our podcasts. And she absolutely loves them. And we asked for suggestions. And one of her suggestions was... Why not make the podcast into two sessions, recording it all in one go and, oh, <laughs> and no. do the editing in one go, no. but save it in two halves and broadcast twice a week? Oh. <laughs> She's a musician, so she knows a little bit about recording. So um, we'll put it to our guy, Vicky, and see what he says. <laughs> you can see Michael, he's just... Tearing what little hair yeah. he's got left out. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. Uh, so we'll see what we can do on that one. We've got another one from Carol Needham. She's had a problem with her can of worms that's been totally solved. She's very happy with that. And she's now started listening to the weekly podcasts. She says, keep up the brilliant podcasts. Even my husband and noisy seven-year-old son quietly listen to them. So thank you, Carol, for that. And the next one is from Melanie Matthews. Melanie writes, thank you for the catalogues and the lovely raffle prize, which we donated. Um, She's having an open day at their allotment. It's called Rags Allotment Society. She said, I'm determined to turn all the allotmenteers into Wiggly fans. And I'll let you know how the open day goes on the 20th of May. So good luck with that, Melanie. Talking of allotments... We've got another bit of feedback from Frankie, who's a lady, and she's from Allotment 21. She says, Spouse says, the podcasts are like listening to Radio 4, only they're interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the real point about Frankie is that she had a cam box from Wigglers for Christmas, and she's got blue tits nest building in it. And she put pictures and links up on her blog at www.allotment21.blogspot.com And so we sent Richard, the roving reporter, to see Frankie's blue tits. She's just arrived. She's just landed in the nest. So, Frankie, paint us a picture. What's she doing? Well, she comes in and you can hear her. She calls to the the male and he's outside and she gets all, all around the edge of the nest. There's bits of fluff and feathers and fur that she's brought in during the day. And she just gathers it in, really, and weaves it into the base of the, of the nest. So 
I mean, it literally is feathering the nest, isn't it? You can just hear them calling to each other. It's ever so sweet. And after a while, it won't take very long, she'll just pop her head under the wing and puff up and roost. She's a lovely little plump bird. Just, she's, 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 she's enormous, isn't she? Yeah. She's, oh, she's looking out of the, the oh, hole now. You can just yeah. see her. Oh, oh, she's oh, there. She's, she's, yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's moved her way around in a lovely little, tight little nest. And, but it, uh, it does change every time she goes in. You keep yeah. thinking, right, that's it, finished. But yeah. she does. She just, just weaves. not quite right. Mm. No. <laughs> but I'm so pleased she made an appearance. Yeah, fantastic. I'm pleased <laughs> yeah. we've seen her. So um, hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll be back and we'll see lots of little yellow gapes. I hope so. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers <laughs> crossed. Thank you, Richard, for that. Uh, talking of birdies, I've heard from Jane Markham, who makes the RSPB Bird Notes podcast. She's a radio producer and a radio announcer for the BBC for years and things. Anyway, she's made two pilot podcasts for the RSPB, and she's written to say, Congratulations, you have a great podcast, which is very entertaining, full of information. And she says, Monty's a bit of a star. <laughs> she also makes podcasts. And so we've had several people who've wanted to know how we do it and whatever. So she makes them. So that's Jane Markham from RSPB Bird Notes podcast. And Phil, you've got some news on wiggly birds, I think. Yeah, well, some weeks ago now, Rich put up a barn owl box in one of our barns, in a modern barn, you know, a steel frame barn. And I have to say, I was a bit cynical. We've got barn owls, as you know, and they nest in the trees and they seem quite happy. But we thought, well, we'll put the box up, partly as a demonstration as to how to put it up and see what happens. And the other night, I saw a barn owl fly out of that barn. So, fingers crossed. So is it in the cattle shed with the cattle? Next door. It's in the shed that we store the cattle's hay and straw in. Mm, That's good. It's a shame we haven't got a camera in there. Yeah, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, we could watch it. So tell us what's been happening in the cow shed, Phil. Well, we've had what in the trade is known as a bad week of it, really, one way or another. We've told you about our assorted sets of twins over the past few weeks and months. And the other day, the second pair of twins... One of them, in the morning, was just dead. Three months old, as far as we could tell, perfectly healthy, shiny coats, eating and drinking well, no trouble at all, just dead. So that's fairly unusual in itself. It is unusual, but having said that, the one thing that we have noticed with twins is that they do seem more susceptible to having congenital defects, and you you can run into problems with hearts and things like that. If you're going to have that sort of problem, those are the ones that are most likely to have it. So we thought, well, sod's law, that's how it is. The other twin seems absolutely fine. We did ask the vet, you know, had he got any thoughts on time of year? What, should we do anything? And he said, well, not really. You know, I think it's, it's probably sod's law. Carry on. And so we did. And four days later, its sibling dropped dead in identical circumstances. Mm. And we thought, well, that's not as it should be at all. And so... I got our local vet to do a post-mortem, which is a surgical investigation, to try and find out what happened to it. Very sadly, we're here on Bill Main, our friend and vet's front drive, performing a post-mortem on the second of our twins, which very sadly both of the second set have died within the last week inexplicably suddenly and for no reason they were both fit and well eating and drinking well and four days ago the heifer calf dropped dead overnight and this morning the bull calf was found dead similarly 
and so we've decided that we ought to try and find out what's gone wrong and why it's gone wrong. So Bill has basically made an incision behind the calf's shoulder and he's heading towards the body cavity with a view I suspect of investigating its vital organs for any obvious signs of trauma or damage. We have to be very careful about what we do because we're going to have to stitch it back together again after we've done this post-mortem. The local hunt kennels unfortunately will not accept carcasses which have been opened up and not closed again so it does limit the extent that we can actually open animals up when we're doing post-mortems. And is that a government legislation bill or is that uh, just a preference of the kennels? Uh, it's uh, government legislation mainly because we have leakage of specified offer really, one of which is blood and uh, you know, that's not allowed anywhere now in, in this country. It all has to be collected and kept in one place and leakage of, uh, of uh, internal body fluids um, and any other bits that might fall out of a out of a post-mortem animal is uh, deemed to be illegal. So we, we will progress with great care. And what's your first impressions on looking at the carcass? First impression is that it's a good, well-conditioned carcass. The animal's got body fat in it. It's pale, which is common in a obviously in a calf that's only being fed on milk. It's not much more than a veal calf, really, at this stage. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, you know, for it to have died suddenly, we're either looking at a metabolic cause or we're looking at a, let's um, say, infectious cause. And in this case, we have the, the inherent possibility of something else going wrong. The fact that its twins died, but, uh, you know, the, whether there's a genetic element in it. But at the moment, we're struggling here just to get into the ribs cavity without actually making too much of a mess for the for the kennels. But, uh, so Speaking to you earlier on today, your suspicions lie in a, a something like a magnesium deficiency and so far you haven't really found anything to well, dissuade you from that. No, idea, no, not I? really. There are no there are no clinical signs on post water with magnesium deficiency. Magnesium deficiency there are no obvious signs on, on post-mortem and you can only diagnose magnesium deficiency either on a sample of the aqueous fluid from the, from the eyeball or from the first coccygeal bone um, uh, really or, or, or uh, the lack of all other findings to that end we have, we have no, taken a sample of its aqueous humour, but you found something that doesn't look terribly yeah, pleasant no. there, or is that absolutely, normal? Absolutely, absolutely. That's something very abnormal here. And you're looking there at the upper reaches of its digestive tract, are you? Yeah, just let me actually have a look and see here. This is a first on me, Philip. Okay. 
Well, we seem to have found the problem, and um, not being a vet myself, I'll let Bill describe what he's found and what his conclusions are. Yeah, well, Philip, we've got something here which is uh, fairly unusual. I've certainly never seen it before in a, in a calf at all. It's something we recognise often in dogs and cats. But this animal's got adhesions throughout its chest cavity. It's got a thickened pericardial sac, which is the sac in which the heart sits in. And where we went through, as you saw there, we went through the mediastinum, which is the sort of the curtain which suspends the, the lungs from one side of the lung field to the other side of the lung field. We've suddenly got all this dark coloured fluid with flecks of material in it. And then we actually have seen a there, there is a piece of the rumen, which is the, which is the stomach, has gone through into the chest cavity from the abdomen through a hole in the diaphragm, which is the big muscular sheet which separates the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity. So in other words, as this calf's got bigger and bigger and bigger, more food has gone into its stomach, more straw and roughage, which has expanded the stomach, um, and that has pushed the stomach through a pre-existing defect in the diaphragm muscle which separates the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity to such a point where it's actually ruptured. And it's at that point the calf has died. Uh, we don't know how many calves have this and they're perfectly okay. It's really very, very unusual. And you can see there, you can see the discoloration in the lungs. The part of the lungs adjacent to this hole have, got, have really gone quite dark and quite black. The rest of the lung field is okay. Uh, and it would tie in with this calf's twin dying suddenly for, for unexplained reasons because, as I say, this is a congenital defect that had been born with it and it is thought to have a hereditary factor in it. So it's certainly a first for me. It's good because for you because it's a one-off thing. It's not going to affect the rest of the herd, but it's obviously, a, unfortunately, a very sad affair for, for yourself. So, put put simply, basically we have a situation where the lungs, instead of moving smoothly and silkily within the lung cavity, they've stuck to the outside, and that the gut has ruptured effectively through a hole in the diaphragm and leaked some of its contents, which are highly infectious and horrible. Well, it's not so much infection, it's just killed the animal by shock. You know, a ruptured bound is a very serious effect if it happens in the abdomen. And it's an extremely serious effect if it happens in the chest. There's a, um, and it'll be the, the shock that would have occurred from the rupturing of the bowel, which has killed this animal. If the bowel had not ruptured, then we would probably have never ever have known that this animal had this defect. It all depends on the size of the rupture in the first place, doesn't it? Well, very sad, but at least we now know that there was absolutely nothing we could have done about it. Absolutely. Um, and I'm grateful to you for taking your Saturday afternoon out to find this out for me. Hopefully we won't see it again. I hope not to. Whew. Well, I reckon that has got to be a first. Bearing in mind that I think we've got the first farming and gardening podcast in the UK, that simply must be the first calves post-mortem, if a little gloomy and a little gory, if I might say, Farmer Phil. Well, a little bit, but there were positives to be taken out of it in as much that having made the discovery that we did, there was absolutely nothing that we could have done differently to have changed the situation, which is good from our point of view, and it gives closure to it. It was very satisfying to know the reason why it happened, and the suspicion is that it happened to its sibling as well, so that while it is gloomy, it is nice to know the reasons. 
and it was carried out on a drive in a cul-de-sac in a village. Well, that's right. Well, what is that about? Well, basically, that was because it was on a Saturday afternoon, out of hours, and Bill the vet lives just down the road, and although it sounds as if we conducted a major bloodbath on his drive, it's not like that at all, but it was carried out in the back of the truck on his drive just because of it being Saturday afternoon. Any neck curtains flickering? Well, a little bit here and there, you know, it's... <laughs> I think they're used to him by now, though. Well, I think that the next thing that I'm going to get you to record is a live carving. So we've got the other end of the spectrum. Well, I expect, sadly for you, that'll have to be you doing the recording while I do the carving. So, um... mm. Anyway, Phil, we've got a bit of feedback from Robert Grange on hedgerows. Thank God Richard isn't here, right? I know, he'd make you do another podcast on it, I'm sure. <laughs> so we'll do this bit of feedback while he's away. (laughs) (laughs) Robert's a cyclist in Herefordshire and he says, can I make a plea that those responsible for trimming hedges obey the law and clear the trimmings from the road afterwards? I realise that this must seem to be a time-consuming task, but surely with modern equipment, blowers, it should be easy to displace most of the clippings back into the verge, thus saving the poor cyclist expensive and annoying punctures on every ride through what seems to be most of the year. Can you answer that one? Absolutely. There are three main points. I totally sympathise with Robert's predicament. Being married to a keen cyclist, I know what it is, and given that I get to mend the punctures, that's how it goes. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about hedge trimming and the rubbish on the road... There are several things that contribute to it. Robert's dead right that there are blowers that you can fit onto the hedge trimmer to blow everything back off the road, and that's true, and some people use them. But probably as important is, I've had this conversation with Richard, as you know, that if you only trim one year's growth, the hedge trimmings are much smaller pieces, there are less thorns and they're softer. You trim them in the summer, the thorns aren't as hard. They're not as hard as if you trim them in the winter when you get all this shrapnel all over the place. That's the first point. He's always trying to get his own in, isn't he? Well, he's not here even. Well, Richard's away. I'm sure Ricardo will have his say when he gets back. But the second point is how you trim the hedge. If the hedge is big and has got lots of volume, when you trim the top of the hedge, if you try and trim it flat, all of the material that the trimmer takes off goes everywhere in all directions. But if you have the top of the hedge rounded, the trimmer will blow the material back into the hedge all the time. And when you trim the inside of the hedge, if the hedge is big enough, it'll catch the material so it doesn't blow through it. Oh, a body blow. Mm -hmm. We're just waiting for the uppercut. And I rest my case on the basis that I've not had very many complaints from Heather the cyclist about Clifford's trimming of our roadside hedges leaving thorns all over the place. And we don't sweep the road and we don't use a blower either. And I think it's how we trim them and when we trim them. Knock out! (laughs) He'll be back to you on this. (laughs) He's just lying on the floor. He's just completely gone. Uh, I'd say a little handy hev hint is change your tyres because I've got some puncture resistant tyres and they're fantastic. I had three punctures in a week before I got them. It does drive you mad. Anyway, and secondly, as a lover of countryside produce, would it be possible for landowners to leave a few more fruit trees, for example, blackthorn for the slows, elder for the berries and damsons, uncut in the hedge? 
Not only would this benefit wildlife, but at least I can more easily find the sources for my slow gin and fruit jams. Personally, when I can find the time to pick the slows for the slow gin, I don't have any problem picking them from trimmed hedges. It's a bit like pruning trees. You get the fruit grows on a new growth each year, and that seems to be absolutely fine. And I come back to the thing that if you trim the hedge back too hard, you lose all the fruit and it doesn't work. It's how you trim the hedge. I don't think you can kick a man when he's down, (laughs) Phil. I can. (laughs) Why doesn't Robert go to commons and open places? There are loads and loads of bushes out there that have slows, berries of all sorts. I think that's a fair comment, but there's loads of blackberries, slows and and rose hips and so on in our hedges, and I would think that that goes for a lot of the hedges of Herefordshire, but you have to have a healthy hedge. True. So welcome to that hundred or so cycling um, <laughs> members of the Hereford Wheelers who we'll see picking all our fruit. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have to change their bikes and get some mountain bikes so they can go up on the commons. <laughs> Thank you very much. On we go to Alison and Plant of the Week. Oh, right, yeah. what have you brought us, Sal? Lady Smock today. Or Cuckoo Flower, Cuckoo I Flower. Yeah, apparently it's called Cuckoo Flower because it flowers um, when the cuckoo starts to sing and it goes off flowering when the cuckoo goes home. And when does the cuckoo come? He comes in April, he sings his song in May, he, he changes, changes his tune. tune in the middle of June and July he flies away. So that's we go. a long flowering time which makes mm. complete sense because the, in between here and Webley there's just banks of ladies' smock on the way and they're there from about now too. Yeah, that's it. I saw it when I was coming off the motorway at Newport on the roundabout. There's a mass of it. Yeah, but we haven't heard a cuckoo yet. No, we haven't. No, heard any a day. I wonder who will be the first to hear the cuckoo. It's but always to be of... fair, the ladies' smock isn't in flower yet either. Well, that particular one well, isn't. That one isn't. But I younger. think that I've seen some others out there. That yeah. I've got little flowers on them. Describe it then, please, Al. It has flowering stems up to sort of 8 to 20 inches high. It has like white or pale pink flowers on the end. It's a very delicate flower. And it flowers this time of year early because of the competition it has the rest of the time. So it starts to grow over the winter months and then it flowers in April um, because of all the competition in the grass and all the rest of the flowers that come up quite a delicate little thing needs a bit more care and attention than the usual bog standard um wildflowers found in damp meadows and hedgerows and streams loves sort of a wetter area and partial or full sunlight loves that Mm. yeah and also it's a caterpillar food plant of the orange tip butterfly that's that gorgeous white one with the orange tips Mm. and did you know that you can eat the leaves yeah you can it's um it's a herb family mustard family Mm. And very good for your stomach. Apparently rich in vitamin C. Yes, they used to use it, range to stop yeah. scurvy. I tell you what. You've Rick, got over that now. Yeah. I tell you what, Richard isn't there. Should we put some in his next sandwich when he comes and then we'll see what happens? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Al, for that. I'm not very good with my plants and you inform us. And when I listen to the podcast, I learn about a new one all the time. And so my knowledge of wildflower plants is getting much better. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Oh, and the Wiggly Wildflower Meadow has got beautiful snakes head for trilleries. Oh, I went the other day and oh. saw them out there. Yeah. And cowslips and betony. Betony, little Bethany's tiny flower. Yeah, yeah, which looks really lovely. That's cool. And the thing I was going to ask you, Al, is we've got cleavers in the left-hand side. Do we just have to pull yeah, those out? Yeah, I'd pull out? those out or they'd go a bit mad, wouldn't they, and smother them. Yeah. It's the trouble with cleavers. An update on the turf versus the seed. The turf 
the grasses and the plants is much, much higher. The seeded area? No, the turf oh. area is much higher because it's had a better chance. Oh, right. But the seed looks to have more variation. But in the seed area, the cleavers are there. So I think we just need to pull ah. those up to give it a bit more space. Interesting. Hmm. Well, now it's time for the little one again. It's Monty's Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Mealworms love eating tea bags. Thanks, Mont. So we'll yeah. speak to you all next week. And if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can contact Rach at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Plant queries go to Alison at wigglywigglers.co.uk. You can comment on our blog at wigglywigglers.blogspot.com or go to our website, wigglywigglers.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Keep subscribing. Come back, Bye. <laughs> I've had an email from Jane Markham, who makes the RSPB Bird Notes podcast. Toast is tickling her back so much that we can't concentrate. She has a... <laughs> no, she's having a moment. She's having a moment. A she says she's molting and it's very itchy on one's back when well, one is a chocolate Labrador. Could you apply a bit of scratching to it to stop it ruining our podcast, Phil? I'm more worried about the carpet. <laughs> you introduce Monty. Well, now it's time for the little one again. It's Monty's podcast. Wormcast. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Well, now it's time for the little one again. It's Monty's podcast. Wormcast. Wormcast. <laughs> 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 That's really funny. Oh, where is he? <sighs>